Today is a day of announcements. I have an announcement for you. Do I have your attention? <laughs> I really don't, but I want to share. I want to share an announcement with you. Um, in fact, we're going to be looking at a moment uh, in Luke chapter 4. If you want to open your Bibles there. Luke chapter 4. Uh, announcements uh, come for a lot of reasons in a lot of different forms. Announcements will often come these days via Twitter or uh, other social media. Um, just a lot, a lot of ways of doing announcements. And uh, the announcement we're going to look at today is about um, really an introduction of, of a person and a purpose for um, his work. And uh, there uh, are ways that uh, such things are announced. We uh, might get a letter if you're a your school, maybe you went to university. There are times when administration changes, there's a new dean or a new president, and you might get a letter in the mail announcing who that person is, announcing uh, who she, what's important to her, uh, those types of things. Um, announcements are really, really uh, important and good for us uh, in keeping us uh, focused forward and uh, walking uh, with good information. You know, this past in recent weeks, there were 36 governors who were inaugurated in different states around the country. And part of an inauguration speech often involves not just what they talked about on their campaign promises, but is a bit of an introduction to who they, who they are and setting priorities, what is most important to them. That's exactly what we find in Jesus' announcement this morning. He's announcing to us in Luke chapter 4 a little bit of... How he sees himself, not just the role that uh, Bible scholars or church pastors or uh, people might place upon him, but what is it that Jesus understood about himself? And what is it that Jesus said about who he is and his purpose for coming? And that's exactly what this announcement is this morning. Let's read in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse a 16. Jesus was now a grown man, and he uh, started his ministries and baptized. He goes to Nazareth, it says, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That's how they taught back in those days. They would actually sit down once the reading was done. And they would teach the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. There's the announcement. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Sorry, I, I add tone into things I read sometimes. Verse 23. Jesus said to them, Surely, you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, 
when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Father, we pray this morning that you would teach us that we would have ears that are opened and hearts that are softened and a a willingness and eagerness to know what you have for us today. Holy Spirit, may you be our teacher and guide this morning. And as you would walk right through this service this morning, that we would pay attention and that we would be eager to walk with you and to go and be obedient. Help us now, we pray, Jesus, in your name and for your sake we pray. Amen. Amen. When Jesus comes to give this announcement, he is announcing a new era. There is a new era afoot. Yesterday at the worship workshop that a few of us had a chance to go to, at the very end, at 4 o'clock, you had to be back in in the worship center and uh, they were going to do a drawing. And you had to be present to win. So we were eager. And we went back and had this big brass drum with all of the entry forms. And they rolled them and rolled them. And uh, as they would pull, they had, I don't know, probably... 15 total prizes that they were giving out, and they would pull one name after another, and my eyes and everyone else's eyes were fixed squarely on the person drawing out of the drum. Why? Because we wanted to hear our name. You know, you're paying attention. We were focused directly on the one here, and that's exactly what we find. Jesus goes in to this synagogue, And he is given the scroll to read. He's recognized as a teacher. He's given the scroll to read. He sits down to teach. And all the eyes are fastened on him. They are eager to hear what he's about to say. And he says, today, what I've just read, we'll get to that in a minute, but what I've just read out of Isaiah 61 has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, a new era has begun. Not just a fad. Right? We, we live in a, a day and time where fads are plenty. Right, There are diet fads. It's amazing how many different diets come up. And it's completely opposite, it seems, to my eye, at least, from the diet that was so popular just eight months ago. Right, Avoid, avoid all sorts of, uh, of protein and fats and, and do nothing but carbohydrates. And then eight months later, you come out, there's another fad diet. It's eat only meat. And don't eat any carbs, and on and on it seems it goes. There's all sorts of fads, and people trying to be healthy, I get all that. Can you think about the fads of haircuts, and how often haircuts change, or the fads of fashion, or whatever it is, you name the category, there are fads for them, and we often get caught up in the fads, but they're, they're temporary. They, they're here for a moment, and then they're gone. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus is announcing that a new era has begun, not just because something interesting has happened in history, but because he has now come into the world, because Jesus is present, he's there in the synagogue, and he speaks it loudly to our lives today, 
that because I have come, Jesus says, a new era has begun. It is not like it was before. There's something new that God is doing, and it's happening through the life and work of Jesus. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, if you were to read these first three, four chapters of the Gospel of Luke, you would see how Luke is building to this moment. It's very purposeful. You've got the the Christmas story and all the things that happened. And Luke is trying to help us see not just a baby, cute and quiet and cuddly in a manger. What Luke wants us to know is that angels from on high emerged. And he interrupted the peaceful life of the shepherds in the field. And uh, there were things happening to help demonstrate that the coming of Jesus is not like any other bird. It was utterly unique. There are people, when he was a little infant, and his parents bring him to present him at the temple. There were two people who meet him there unexpectedly. They were been waiting for God's deliverer to come. And when they see Jesus... God's Spirit speaks to them and they know this is the one. And so they come up to Him. And all the while Mary is like paint. Her mind is getting blown over and over again. That this child that's been born is something special and unique. And then His baptism. We see the triune God there. The Father's voice speaking. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The picture of the Spirit in, in a dove form. The way it's described there. Descends. And you see the triune Godhead there together in the amazing uniqueness of Jesus' baptism. And then he's led out into the wilderness to be tempted for a long period of time to demonstrate that when it comes to his cross that we look at here every Sunday, when it comes to his cross, that he is the one uniquely qualified to go and pay, to pay the price for our sin. Because when he was tempted, he did not give in to that temptation. He is utterly unlike me and unlike you. Because there are moments of temptation. We give in, we become sinners, but never Jesus. So all of this is to build to this particular announcement. That this passage out of Isaiah 61 is to point to me, Jesus says, because I am the Messiah. I am the long-awaited one who has come now to enact what God has purposed from the beginning. What else do we learn from this passage? Is that God is interested in the lowly. God takes a keen interest in the lowly. At the end of this passage, verses um, 18 and 19, at the end of that little passage, little passage out of Isaiah 61, it says that I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. In other words, I've come to express to you what the kingdom of God and the reality of your life is like. That the kingdom of God has broken into the broken world and it has come to shape your life. The year of the Lord's favor is a reference also to the year of Jubilee. Susan, I have a friend who just recently visited us and uh, on her 50th birthday... She has made and declared it as her personal year of jubilee. We said, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, you know, as we get older, often we lament the fact that we're aging. And as I've come to make the midpoint of my life, I don't want to be one who dreads my life today or what's to come. And so I'm going to make it my purpose in my 50th year to note and to celebrate the things that bring joy in my life 
And then it's going to be my year of Jubilee. I'm going to take stock of where I've seen God work, and I'm going to celebrate His work in my life. What is the year of Jubilee in the Bible? It's the year of liberation. It was something given by God in Leviticus chapter 25, and Jesus is making it a symbol of His own ministry. If you wonder what the ministry of Jesus is like, this is a great place to start. As he reflects back on Isaiah 61, what is the year of Jubilee? It was, it was in part to restrict our human tendency to abuse people and things. We as humans have a terrible tendency to abuse other people and to abuse other things. Systems get corrupted. Our hearts get corrupted. The things we touch get corrupted. We have a tendency. It's it's the sinful bent in all of our lives. It is what we do so well as humanity. And so the year of Jubilee, in part, was instituted to help restrict the human tendency toward abuse. It was also given to promote justice and personal dignity. Here's how it worked. Every 50 years, fields that had provided food were to lay fallow for a season. To be replenished. People were returned to their homes. Debts were relinquished. And slaves, those who were put into servitude, were set free. In part, it's a picture to say, even if your life course has taken a really sour turn, that is not going to be the end of your story. And there are moments when God comes and breaks into the world and will break into your life. And the year of Jubilee reminds us, That things, if they are really crummy, that's not the end of the story. Is that God comes to restore and renew. It's the year of Jubilee. Jesus says, the year of the Lord's favor has come. And He says, men and women, you're looking at it. When you look at me, Jesus says, you are seeing the year of the Lord's favor. In the earlier verses of Isaiah 61, He has come to preach Good news to the poor, those in the most need of God's aid. He has come to heal the brokenhearted, those who weep. Your tears are not forgotten. Those who may weep in isolation, God knows your tears. He holds them. He has come to heal the brokenhearted. He has come... To release the captives. It's the same word used often for forgiveness. God has come to forgive. Jesus broke into the world to forgive sin. I know we all have different stories of how God has worked in our lives. Part of my story I shared before is when I I grew up in the church. I grew up with a mother who taught me to pray. and I grew up with a mother who would pray at home. And my brother was such a great influence on me. And they would teach me to read the Bible and encourage me to do it even if I didn't want to do it. They they encouraged me to do it. And I turned 13, and I was interested in a young lady. And so I found myself at a revival meeting, an old-fashioned revival meeting, weeknight revival meeting. I wasn't interested in hearing what this old man on the stage had to say. I was chasing this young girl, but about the third night, guess what? Even though I had come chasing this young lady, I began to realize that God was interested in pulling me near Him. And I began to listen 
And I began to, to hear the words of salvation, the same words I'd heard from the time I was a child. And all of a sudden, in my heart and my mind, it crystallized. We were invited to turn. Our, our pews were just like these, that the padded on the, the, the seat. And we were invited, if we wanted, to turn around and put our knees on the floor and our elbows in the seat of the pew. And we could pray a prayer of, of repentance, of saying, I'm turning away from my old life that damages people. My old life that is wrapped in, in sadness and despair, and I, I'm turning away from that, and I'm turning to Jesus. I confess the sin of mine so that I can have the beauty of Jesus in my life. And in that moment, and you, your story may not be like this, but this is what I sense in that moment. As I sat there kneeling in that pew, and I, I confessed, I said, God, I'm a sinner. I, I know it, and I need your forgiveness and your cleanness into my dirtiness. And I, I need you into my life. And it's like God took this weight, and it was the sense I had. It's like this burden was lifted off of me. There was a lightness even in my body. It was so amazing. And I so rejoiced in that memory. Because God does come, and Jesus has come to relieve the burden of sin. When he says, when that passage in Isaiah 61 begins, that he has anointed me, Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. This is part of what is going to mark my ministry. Because the lowly in the world are important to God. The world says the rich and the famous and the smart and the successful, that they are the important people. They are the ones that are worth giving admiration to and giving time and attention to. But God says the lowly are just as important to me. And I've come into the world for the lowly. And if it's important to God, it should be important to us. Because the lowly, the broken, the imprisoned, the ones shackled by sin, the ones in need of God's healing touch. If God is interested in the lowly, we too should be interested in the lowly. The work of the church is to be engaged with the lowly. We've been so blessed as a church, a broad church, large seed church with the life of Martin Luther King. We've just celebrated him last week. And giving a life, dedicating it to some of this type of work. To bring healing into broken places. To point people to the just way of living. And we're so indebted to Him and His life. This is part of the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we go into places that maybe aren't pretty. We step into lives that are hard and difficult and broken. And we do what we can not to come and fix somebody's life, but to point them to Jesus because He is the healer. We point them to Jesus because He is the one that sets them free. We point them to Jesus because He is the one who wants to pull them close because the lowly of heart are who are so dear to Jesus' heart. One more point. Do we have time? Number three. Jesus. What do we learn from this? Jesus is from for everyone. 
Jesus is for everyone. Jesus was a Jewish man. And, well, that's for another day. Jesus is a Jewish man. Grew up going to synagogue, worshiping at the temple on the high holy days. He comes in into this hometown of Nazareth and he goes, as was his custom, the Bible says, into the synagogue. And he begins to teach in the synagogue to other Jewish people. And he's inviting them to understand who he is. That's the announcement. But he, he comes here and he doesn't give them what they expect. He doesn't give them the same normal teaching line of the other rabbis of the day. In fact, he takes two Old Testament stories in the the ministry of Elijah the prophet and Elisha the prophet. And there were needs among the Hebraic community of those days. And these particular stories that Jesus chooses are when God went not to help the Jewish people in need, but he went to help the Gentile people around them in need. What was the point? The point Jesus is trying to emphasize is that I have come not just for Jewish people, I have come for Jewish people. But I've not come only for Jewish people, I've come for all people. And so it doesn't matter what your ethnic background or where your place of origin is or anything else. I have come, I have come for you. Because I love you. And the people, when they hear these stories, they know what he's saying. And they don't like it. And their response is one of fury. They're so upset, they're about to take him out and toss him off the mountain. That's not a positive response. That's not the response when I preach that I want to hear and see. Please, let's talk before you throw me off the cliff. But that's exactly what they wanted to do. Somehow, Jesus walks on his way through their midst. That would have been quite a sight. Here's what I, why I think it matters. Because there are times in our lives, even for those of us who have embraced Jesus personally, there are times in our lives when we will encounter Jesus in an area of our life where we're thinking differently than Jesus thinks, or we're acting differently than what the Bible calls us to act. Or the things that maybe are important to God are not as important right now in my life. And so it disrupts us. It disrupts us. Because none of us, me included, none of us have Jesus all figured out. There should be times in our lives when the teaching of Jesus surprises you and challenges you. And makes you question things that you've held so tightly on. That's part of spiritual growth. So when we come to the Bible and we encounter something that's kind of like against something I believe, or something I hold dear, or something I'm doing that maybe I it seems like I shouldn't be doing, or something I should be doing according to the Bible, but it's just not a priority at all. And so we have some choices to make. We can, we can either just ignore it and say, I'm going to read some other parts of the Bible. Or we can reject it. That's what the people of Nazareth did. And say, I'm not, I'm not doing that. This part of the scripture has claim over me, but not this. This part of the life of God will be authoritative for me, but not this. 
Because it goes against what the world around me says right now is okay. Or teaches me something else. This is what my family's always believed. It's what my parents believe. These are the patterns I've always had in my life. Or we can say, you know what, this is really, really challenging my life right now. This is rocking my world. And we can engage with it. We can wrestle with it. So I love the name Israel so much. You know, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel because Israel literally means one who wrestles with God, one who works with God to sort it out. And when we encounter things in the Scripture that may not be what the world says, and there are plenty, we need to wrestle with that. We need to invite the Lord to bring convictions that are deeply rooted yet held with kindness into our lives, and we wrestle with those things. And so, here's what I want to end with this morning. The Scripture, if there are not moments as you're reading the Bible and in your encountering of the Lord Jesus in a regular way, if there are not moments periodically through the year where you're not challenged with something you're encountering, the way He dealt with somebody that you're not doing, whatever the issue might be, then it may be likely either you're not reading the Bible or you're not reading it with an open heart because we will be challenged at times. And so here's the challenge for you. On Valentine's Day, February 14th, you know, many people have referred to the Bible as a love letter from God to us. Saying, this is how much I love you. I've let you know, I've given you some insight into who I am as God, what I've done for you in the coming of Jesus, and how you can have this friendship and relationship with me. And so it's almost like God saying, will you be my Valentine? This is my love letter to you. So on Valentine's Day, we're going to invite, if, if you do not currently have a Bible reading plan for the year 2019, we're going to offer you something to consider. And maybe you'd like to read the Bible along with other people. Um, and if you do so, by the end of the year, you'll have read through the entire Bible. So we're going to give you some more details about that, but I, I just want to tune your ears into an opportunity. It's not to replace what you're currently doing, but if you're not really doing anything right now and reading the Bible in a regular way, or if you're kind of reading, but it's become a little mundane, and maybe you're kind of doing it all by yourself, and maybe you'd like to have some opportunities to talk with other people, we're going to give you an op- just a plan. It's going to be a pretty simple thing and some ways of reflecting on the Scripture, giving you some ideas of how to reflect on the Bible. So we're going to be doing that starting uh, the week of February 14th. So stay tuned. We'll give you some more details in the next two Sundays. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about a day when Jesus stood amazed. Did you know Jesus was amazed? He was amazing, but there was a moment when he actually, the Bible says that he was amazed. And next week, we're going to look at that. You'll be hearing more about the Bible reading opportunity if you'd like to do that with others over the course of this year. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you're a God who disturbs us. We thank you, God, that you do not let us just sit statically and idly through our lives because you challenge us. You invite us into deeper living. You want to grow us and to develop us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. If we are so thankful, thank you. I mean, it is hard sometimes 
Growing is hard sometimes. We get growing pains deep in our soul bones. But we need it so desperately. Because we want more of you in our lives and more of you in our church and more of you in our world. And so we pray that we would be those who look at you as the beginning of a new era. That your kingdom has come. And one day you're going to say, all right, that's it. And you're going to make everything new again. Judgment will happen. Heaven will be open to some. Hell will be open to others. That is a day you've promised ahead. But in the meantime, we want to grow in you. We want to talk with you about you with as many people around us as we can. We want to live in the gospel. Live in its goodness. And so help us with that. God, you love the lowly. Help us to love the lowly. Help us to point others to Jesus. Help us to share where you in our lowest parts of life, you have touched us and healed us and renewed us and made us more and more into your image. Help us to share that. God, help us to be people as we read the scriptures. Help us to be challenged so that we can be changed. Because the goal isn't to be like everybody else. The goal isn't to be accepted by the world around us. Our goal is to reflect more and more the person of Jesus in our thinking, in our financial lives, in our marriages, in the way we go about our school day, in the way we work in our offices, in the way we live in our homes, the way we engage with our neighbors. And on down the list it goes. Help us, we pray. Jesus, for your sake, we ask it. Amen.